Well, thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Freed Thinker Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tyler Vela. In this episode, I'm going to do something a little bit different than normal. I'm actually going to start a series walking through the book of Judges. So a lot of people have asked me based on my work on Genesis 1 and how I advocated for a redemptive historical reading uh, of Genesis 1, how this might play out and how we use this type of uh, hermeneutics and and, uh, exposition when we're dealing with other books, other historical books. Um, And so I thought, well, Uh, I've taught through most of the Old Testament during Sunday school, so why not go through a little bit uh, here? And I can go through the book of Judges. Uh, For those of you who know me, I think Judges uh, is a a radically uh, underutilized book in the canon. I think it's one that is is often overlooked but has a primary role in the transition from the Pentateuch— uh, up through uh, up through the the book of you know the the books of Samuel and and kings and and so on into later history, and I think the the author of the book of Judges uh, is a just a, a, a it's it's just a literary genius. I don't know how else to say it. It's just it, it is just a masterpiece of literature. So I'm going to be going through how we actually read through doing a historical grammatical. Uh, and uh, and and uh, redemptive historical understanding and, and, and hermeneutic of how we read uh, uh, different passages of the Old Testament. So with that, I'm going to jump in to this series going through the book of Judges. Enjoy the show. So the book of Judges, this book is primarily about the failed mission of Israel to follow up on the campaign from the book of Joshua and take uh, all of the land. So uh, we're going to go through some preliminaries and then work our way through the book. I think this probably will take, I don't know, three or four episodes to get through the book uh, of Judges. So I hope you enjoy this. First of all, uh, what is Judges? So the term Judges is uh, Sophitim, and this is the same name used in the Septuagint and the Vulgate, uh, and it means Judges or or one uh, who judges. Now, the purpose of Judges uh, is a little bit up for debate. And part of that is it's going to depend on your view uh, of how you understand the relationship between the book um, and whether uh, how it plays out on some of the pro or anti-monarchical themes in the book. That is, the book can be read somewhat in favor of the monarchy and somewhat in uh, it, it can stress kind of an anti-monarchical theme. And so depending on 
how you see the emphasis of those and how they're related to the broader kind of redemptive uh, flow within the Old Testament is going to determine how you think about the purpose of the writing of the book. So uh, what is the relationship of the pro-monarchical and anti-monarchical themes? So some scholars are going to stress the anti-monarchical theme. They're going to say that Judges is an anti-monarchical polemic by an exilic author who's calling for a return to the theocratic Reign, right? There, this is someone who thinks um, that this is, uh, you know, someone that's in the exile uh, post the, the the breakdown of the kingdom. They're looking back. They're saying, "Look, the monarchy has failed. We need to return to a situation when when God is the ultimate king, and He actually directly raises up rulers as He needs it. We need to go back to a decentralized state uh, where God can work that way." Um, where we're freed from the encumbrances uh, of human institutions, uh, and especially this kind of this kind of bureaucratic monarchy, this bureaucratic state, right? So this is going to be a view of someone like Dumbrell. Okay, so what are the problems? Um, the idea of a king uh, was never lost. They never kind of lost that sight. Uh, in the post-exilic period, right? There's Psalms and prophets kind of both kept that hope alive. And the reason for that is because of the promises specifically for a king in the line of David. So there seems to be, for those who stress that this is an anti-monarchical book in the post-exile, it seems to miss that in, in the exile and after the exile, the Jews seem to still cling to the hope of the king, the true king, the ultimate king in the line of David. And so the book of Judges, if it was written during the exile or, or slightly after the exile, and it really has this anti-monarchical theme, it really would be at odds with the broader hopeful anticipation for the king in the line of David. Now, some of the anti-monarchical statements may not actually be against the monarchy as well. So that's another problem. But they could be against reasons for the request of the monarchy. That is, against a certain type of of monarchy, and we are going to talk about uh, how that comes about when we start going through the exposition. But the people seem to be calling in the book of Judges for a certain kind of monarchy, that is, a monarchy like the surrounding nations. And so that while this might not be anti-monarchical full stop, it could be saying, hey, you know, in the exile or post-exile, let's not try to go to these types of monarchies. We've seen what happens when we demand a monarchy like the nations, let's continue to look for the king like David. So it might be an anti a certain type of monarchy. And that is that is certainly possible, but that that is very nuanced. The other view is that the, the judges, the purpose uh, is is not pro monarchy, right? Um, this this is the view uh, of Block in the in a in the NAC series, right? That they're going to say that this is too political and it doesn't take into consideration the spiritual aspects of the book. They're going to say it's a prophetic book; it's not a political tractate. 
Um, the theme of Judges is the canonization of the Israelite society during the period of the set settlement. And so they're going to look to, to that uh, and they're going to kind of go really strongly against that. They're going to say Judges fits best in a period of the apostasy of Manasseh because of the parallels between the two. Then this would, this would make Judges a kind of a wake-up call to the Jews during the reign that they were being corrupted like they were during the time of Judges. If you want to situate where we are during the reign of Manasseh, you can go and look at any of the kings, just look up kings charts online, situate where we are in the kings, right? So Hezekiah was a good king, followed by Manasseh, who was a very, very bad bad, bad, bad king. Uh, and so they're going to say, well, this this kind of fits well with this transition from a good king to a bad king. We see the construction of cultic installations for Canaanite deities. We see this uh, in Gideon and in Micah, uh, that they're offering uh, the children as sacrifices, like uh, we see in the Jephthah cycle, um, that they're shedding a lot of innocent blood, like Abimelech. Um, there's questions, right? So are, are not the political issues of the lack of a king and the spiritual issues of apostasy related to each other? Right? Did, the, did the canonization happen because there was not a righteous king? Um, here, I would just argue that it can be both, right? Just th th that it can be a political tract and have these spiritual elements combined, right? If we remember that they did not divide the secular from the sacred like we do today. The, 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 the political climate just was seen as an outworking of the spiritual state of the, of the leaders and the rulers, the kings, uh, the priests, and, and, and the people. So th th that just is uh, part of the political climate was what the spiritual condition was during the time. Um, why did Israel fail spiritually? Well, Judges keeps telling us, right? They keep telling us why there is this connection between the political and the spiritual. And over and over again, Judges gives the same refrain. It says, because there was no king in Israel, right? So it seems to be in some sense a pro-monarchy. I'm going to argue that it's going to be a pro-monarchy book um, and, and it's seeing the, 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 the stark impact that, uh, that not having a monarchy, not having a godly monarchy has on the spiritual condition of the people. Uh, and so what are some of the reasons for seeing a pro-monarchy theme in, uh, in Judges? And primarily that's going to be that there is that refrain over and over again, again uh, because there was no king, right? So Judges seems to be an apologetic for the need of the monarchy to keep Israel's political and social life from just absolutely disintegrating. Over and over again, every time they fail, it's because it's tied directly to the clause because there was no king in Israel. So over and over again, we see Israel needs not a king like the nations, but they need a godly king, right? Really, ultimately, the theme here is developing they need a God king, right? That is, they, they need to understand that Yahweh is their king, and the ultimate fulfillment of that is Jesus coming as the king in the line of David as the ultimate and final, perfect, holy, righteous king. 
right? So this drive that starts in the book of Judges for a king finds its fulfillment in Jesus as the God-man, the God-king ruling and reigning forever from the throne of David. Um, next, we see that the tribes, the, the, the decentralized nature of Israel, the tribes falter in the conquest. The, the tribes continue to remain divided. They continue to remain divisive. They're combative with each other. Um, they don't work together. We see this over and over again. And so it really, it really casts this, this, this negative light on the decentralized tribal state. Um, and, and so it, it really is pushing away from that to a more unified monarchy. Uh, the judges that are brought about, they are seen almost like a stopgap. The judges are brought in and they're shown. The judges, the judges are not they're they're not typically seen as dynastic. They're not they're not leading the people longstanding. They're they're putting the finger in the dam to stop the water. They're giving sporadic relief for these cycles of apostasy that happened throughout the book of Judges. Um, so, so the tribes fail, the judges ultimately fail. If you actually see how they go through, we'll talk about uh, the, the kind of the downward cycle of the judges. But the other people who were supposed to protect the people, the Levites, the Levites failed, right? The priests failed. So you, so you have the tribes failed, the judges failed, and the priests failed. They failed to provide stability in the cultic and social life of Israel like they were supposed to. This is this is seen in spades in the double conclusion at the end of the book, which is just a massive polemic against the corruption of the Levites during the, tri- the time of the judges. The, the, the Levites uh, are actually uh, almost highlighted as as being rather than the protectors of the purity uh, of the people they are seen as just corrupt and and wicked and and the levites are actually kind of leading the paganization uh, the canonization of the people and so it was seen that a king a godly king would help curb this canonization of Israel now in this view, Judges was written, uh, in, in this pro-monarchical view, Judges was, would have been written fairly early in David's life and reign, most likely when he was king over Hebron, but not over all of Israel, right? So, so scholars like Davis and Drumbell and Kitchen are going to highlight uh, this. And the reason for that is that it seems to be an apology, again, not just for a monarchy full stop, but for a specific godly monarchy, the monarchy that God has promised and you don't get that till David, right? So this seems to be an apology uh, primarily for the Davidic monarchy. So so why do we say, well, it, it, it's not just the Davidic monarchy. Why couldn't the Davidic monarchy be post-exile? Why are we saying that it's David's life in the reign uh, when he's king over Hebron, but not before uh, all of Israel had united? There's a couple of reasons for that. Um, one of those is that there's an appeal to the northern tribes, especially to Benjamin, to unite under David's leadership, right? That, that's, a, that's a key component to, to uniting the kingdom under David. Um, that's because Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin and Benjamin formed kind of the hard core of the Davidic opposition. Um, we can see the, the murder of Abner by Joab and David's relationship with the Philistines really cast suspicion on David's right 
terrain, right? Saul dies in the last battle with the Philistines. And so like they're seeing, okay, well, you know, David kind of was friendly with some Philistines. And so is David a traitor and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so there's, there's a lot of reason David is with the Philistines in the first place uh, because Saul was hunting him down because God had chosen David over, uh, over creating a dynasty with Saul. But that created tension with Benjamin, right? But think about uh, the the material that was selected for the book of Judges. Um, The material that's selected really seems to help make the case for Davidic uh, kingship, right? So so Benjamin is, is not seen in a great light in the book of Judges. You can read this in, in, in the Old Test in the introduction to the Old Testament by Longman, where the story of the Levite and his concubine raises questions, right? Who will you treat well? Right? The idea is that you'll treat someone from Bethlehem well. Who will treat you poorly? Well, someone from Gibeah is going to be the person that's going to treat you poorly, right? Someone from Gibeah is a Benjaminite. Um, the, you know, it, it kind of has this idea who who is going to remove the alien, you know, the foreigners from Jebus and and make it safe for the Israelite. Well, the story seemed appears to advocate loyalty from the northern tribes to a family in Bethlehem rather than a family from the corrupt Gibeah, which is Saul and his descendants are from Gibeah, which is a very pro-David, very anti-Saul kind of polemic. So it's again, it's suggesting that you have this early date in the monarchy where you still, where, where they still are trying to give this polemic saying, look, Saul is not the rightful king. Stop looking to him and his descendants. Go to David, go to the one from Bethlehem, go to the one that can actually deliver you, go to the one that will treat you well, right? Judah in the book of Judges takes the lead and the southern tribes have success in Judges driving out the Canaanites whenever Judah takes the lead, right? So you have this really strong emphasis on Judah over the Benjaminites. Now, um, just because that pro-monarchical thing, pro-theme, pro-Judah, pro-David, just because that may have been the intent of the author, God still orders the book to have meaning throughout church history, right? So this is this is that difference between the original meaning for the original audience and the biblical elaboration and use of the book throughout the rest uh, of the canon. And and, and I, for for if you're interested in a study of that, I highly recommend uh, uh, Richard Pratt's book. Uh, he gave us stories. Uh, if you really want to dig into the difference between the original uh, kind of authorial intent in their immediate context, and then the canonical use uh, of a book, and 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 the 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 expanding of that throughout the rest of the canon. Pratt's book. He gave a story. Has some really excellent work on that, right? So you can see uh, biblical elaboration, for example. Um, this this purpose is relevant to the, to the later period after the exile, right? So even though the original audience, the original author was using this and writing to, so his, so his original audience would have been get on board with David uh, and, and stop trying to follow uh, and support Saul and, and his followers. That would have been the original purpose 
that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a, a broader purpose, a, a deeper purpose uh, that's relevant for the later period after the exile, for example. And you can do this for different periods. Uh, but but it's, it's showing that there's a king is foundational for the reconstituted period, community after the exile, that a king would provide security and victory, that a king would enforce the cultic and social life of the community, and so on and so forth. And there's a legitimate application uh, where we can look at this and we can say, even in the modern context, we need the uh, we, we we need a king. We need the right king, right? We need a king who establishes the community through his work. A king who offers true rest and true peace and true security. A king who does battle with the enemy and wins the victory for us. Who is our true judge? and deliver the true king from Bethlehem, the true son of David, who is that, that is Jesus Christ. Again, so so you can see just because the original author may have had this pro-monarchical theme, it doesn't mean that, that therefore it doesn't have this kind of snowballing effect as it goes down through church history. Okay, next, let's talk about the organization of Israel coming into the book of Judges. Israel at the time, starting at the book of Judges, coming out of Joshua, is, is really a decentralized state. Uh, it's a loose confederation of tribes, right? So the Mosaic Covenant community uh, the, the, uh, really was a, 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 uh, a group of, uh, of tribes that were bound together kind of under this constitution of a Mosaic covenant that, that constituted the nation. Right? So all the tribes shared together the, the, the blessing and the curses of this covenant, uh, but they still kind of had this decentralized uh, representative where you have the, the leaders from, from each of the tribes. Right? This, was, this was renewed, right? the whole purpose of the book of Deuteronomy, the De Deuteronomos, the second giving of the law. The whole purpose of this was a covenant renewal ceremony just before the death of Moses and just before Joshua's death when they reconstitute the covenant. Right, so um, you have this this reconstitution of the covenant, re-solidifying that confederation of tribes underneath the Mosaic administration. They are they are decentrally organized. Right, Yahweh is the king, but there's no standing army. Right, they didn't have a trained military, a kind of a standing militia. Um, they 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 would raise up you know men of fighting age whenever they had to do something, but they didn't have a trained army. Right, they weren't Rome. Right? They weren't Babylon. They weren't Assyria. They didn't have these 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 kind of active military campaigns, um, and and they didn't have a capital. Right, early on, the capital was wherever the ark was. Right, wherever the ark of the covenant was was viewed as the center of power in the confederation of tribes. Right, um, so. But that, that was the organization. This had some downsides, right? Because the tribes don't always act together as a group, right? And in fact, sometimes they just downright competed with each other, right? One troop would not always send uh, aid to help the other tribes like they were supposed to, right? They're, they're not always on the same page on where they should go and when they should go and how they should go battle and who's going to send tribes. And well, there's, there's one episode where one tribe wants to 
kind of stay behind and settle on the land a little bit outside of where they were supposed to go. And so they didn't want to send people to this military campaign and on and on and on. Right. So you, so you have kind of the, these problems arise from the decentralized confederation of tribes. Um, the leaders of the nation, right? They, there is authority in the elders that are represented from each of the tribes, and they are underneath the ultimate authority of the priest, right? The priest was supposed to be the one that would uh, protect the purity of the people, that would protect the elders, and that when the, the elders and the rulers wanted to decide if they go to war, they would come to priests, they would cast the umum and the thumim, right? All that kind of stuff. So the, 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 the elders were really kind of under the authority of the priests. Um, they were also, uh, as apostasy started to happen, uh, God raised up and inspired these judges to deliver the people to, to kind of rule and to reign in these little fiefdoms. Um, oftentimes, these judges uh, did not did not rule and reign or judge over the uh, all twelve tribes. Um, so that sometimes can raise problems. But really, ultimately, the underlying issue in in the Book of Judges is that you're supposed to kind of get from the very jump. Right? You're supposed to get from the jump that Israelite didn't understand that they had a king. Right? Yahweh was their king. So every time you start seeing them go after uh, another king like the nations, you're supposed to see it as a parallel <laughs> where uh, Yahweh is their king. Just like when they started going after other gods, Yahweh is their god. Right, so you, you see this parallel where, where they really are trying to go after the likeness of the other nations, both in their cultic practices and in their political practices, where Yahweh is supposed to function uh, as both of those. Again, ultimately, this will culminate in Christ with the munis triplex, the threefold office of Christ, where Christ is the prophet, the priest, and the king uh, perfectly in unity. So you have that. Okay, the government of Canaan at the time, um, there's the Canaan also was not a big superpower, right? Canaan uh, at this time, right, this was not kind of, uh, this, was, this was really not falling under the authority of Babylon or Assyria, right? The, the government of Canaan was a whole series of small city-states whose relationship tended to be rather competitive and, and turbulent, right? Each, each city-state was ruled by its own king, right? It wasn't like Egypt, um, that, that really had a central government. Although at this time, uh, we can tell from things like the Amarna letters, Egypt really did have a lot of control over the region, right? So, but, but Egypt was kind of like, as long as they paid their taxes and didn't cause too many problems, think of Egypt, even though they were like the superpower that were kind of overseeing everything, they were more like the absentee landlord, right? They collected the rent, but they didn't really care if the lights were on and the water was working. Um, and so and so, really, uh, while Egypt is there, there's a lot of internal conflict that's happening between all of these competing uh, city-states. Okay. Next, we can see that the the, the judges, right? There's the, the sofa team, um, these were the ones that were leading sporadically in Israel. Um, and, and, and Sophatim, let's think about the term for a second. Some, some have said it's actually somewhat of a misleading term, 
right? None of the the individuals in the book of Judges are actually identified as a sophit, right? As a judge, right? Um, there, no one's actually directly called that uh, in, in, in the book. Um, the root of the book, uh, of the word to judge, uh, is safat, uh, and it doesn't appear in any of the book's major sections. It does in some of the minor sections, but it doesn't af- appear in any of the major sections. But we do see the term in, for example, in Ruth 1.1, um, when, it, when it says, in the days when the sofatim ruled. Right, so so we'll talk in a moment about uh, about kind of the historical period and, and where we situate ourselves. But but for example, Ruth clearly identifies the story of Ruth happening when the Sofa team ruled, when the, in the time of the judges, right? But that doesn't actually show up in the name uh, of uh, of uh, in it really in the Book of Judges that much. The word judge has. Has two senses. Um, it has a broader sense in which they were to govern or lead the internal affairs. Right? They they were to judge. They were to make decisions when there was conflict among among the people. Think about this uh, as kind of they were replacing Moses when when the the appointed leaders from the tribes couldn't decide and they had to bring their cases to Moses to judge, right? The, 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 the sofa team would act as, as judges in that sense, uh, but they would also lead in external affairs. And in this sense, they would lead um, and they would deliver the people, right? This is the primary meaning in the book of Judges. So while uh, leading internal affairs, kind of judging when there's conflict among the people is present in the book of Judges. The primary meaning is that they were, they, they led military campaigns to deliver the people. The, the, the judges were by and large uh, not civil magistrates. They were not kings that established dynasties. They were not elected by the people or chosen from among the people, right? They were not, they were not chosen like the, the leaders from each tribe were chosen from among the people, right? The judges were not chosen that way. They were appointed by God. They were not primarily judicial of figures. Deborah seems to be a very clear exception to this, where she seems to have actually served uh, as as somewhat of a civil magistrate and kind of had this judicial function while also uh, acting to deliver her people. Although uh, Deborah actually kind of led and delivered uh, in kind of a second order behind the scenes, kind of pulling the strings type of way. So even her leadership is a little bit different uh, for that. So but primarily, with the exception of Deborah, the judges were, again, primarily military leaders. They were, lar- by and large, spontaneously raised up by God to, to deliver God's people from a specific oppressor. And sometimes, though not always, they were endowed with God's spirit. Right? And we have to remember uh, being ha- being filled with the Spirit in this Old Testament context. You know, Saul is filled with the Spirit. This we're not talking about the same thing as when uh, the Holy Spirit uh, regenerate and and takes up its abode in the life of the Christian believer. Right? This is this is more of an enabling for a specific task for a specific work. 
right? So that's really what it means when it, when it says, you know, they were filled with the Spirit. They, they, they were enabled for this specific task. And we'll talk about what that means throughout the book of, uh, of Judges again, because sometimes when we think of, uh, we think of being, uh, you know, indwelled by the Spirit, we think of it in a very uh, soteriological sense. Okay, so what about the historical background of the period of the Judges? The judges seem to, so the judges really is nestled between, uh, so after the exile, after Egypt, they wander in the wilderness. There's the context, conquest of Joshua. Then the period of the judges, uh, followed by the uniting of the kingdom, right? Initially with Saul starts to do it, and then it gets united under David uh, and Solomon. And then you have uh, the division uh, of the kingdom falling out. So the judges appears to fall sometime around uh, the 4th to the 11th, or sorry, the 14th to the 11th century BC. Somewhere, you know, 1350 to 1050, somewhere right around there uh, in the BC. That That's right around that period. This would largely be during the late Bronze Age, the second late Bronze Age into the first Iron Age, right? So that, that really is that, that, that span of 1400 to 1000 BCE. The books that would be kind of in this same time period, right? Judges, Ruth, the first nine chapters of Samuel or so. So really, it's that period following the death of Joshua up to the, the coronation of Saul. That, that's really the period uh, that it's covering, right? The, 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 this fits well with the early date of the Exodus, um, given Jephthah's statement about 300 years in, in Judges 11.26, right? That fits really well with, with an early date of the Exodus. Um, that, and that leaves about 300 years for the period of the Judges. Um, and so, uh, so it really, you know, a lot, a lot of timelines are going to see Exodus happening somewhere around 1446, uh, the conquest happening, you know, wander for 40 years. So the conquest happening around 1406 to about 1350. Uh, and then the judges happening up through Samuel and the coronation of Saul. We have a pretty good date for the coronation of Saul, uh, in 1051. Uh, so that, that time at, at the end of the conquest up through the time of Saul, it really is that, that period. Uh, during this time, there's no major military threats, right? As I've said, the, 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 the lack of interest in empire building uh, in Egypt at the time um, is, 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 is important here, right? So th there's the, right during this time is when King Tut Right for the Pharaoh Tutankhamun, um, uh, his his fame, uh, we, you know, we know about him uh, from uh, from his tomb, his treasures. Right, he was Pharaohs in the 1300s, um, and so we're really kind of in in that situation. But they're really not focused on empire building at that's at this period. Um, they're really that, that really didn't happen until the the, the 19th dynasty for Egypt. Um, uh, we see, we see, for example, Seti uh, gives gives a little bit of impetus uh, towards empire building. Um, Ramesses II, in about 1304 to 1228, began leading some armies northward uh, to control the Philistine. But they're really interested in in 
in really just the kind of the coastal highway going through because it gives them access to Syria. So they're interested in keeping control of it for that reason, but they're really not interested in, in conquering every little fiefdom throughout. They're really interested in just controlling the trade route. Um, so Egypt controlled uh, Palestine and Syria, um, which kept the smaller nations from really causing trouble. Um, and so that, that kind of led to some uh, some some peace uh, in that in that time period, uh, and and we really see it with the rise of the period uh, that that eighty year rest following uh, the, the 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 first judge Ehud. Um, after Seti and Ramesses the second, there is a, a weakening of Egyptian control. Um, we see uh, we see Merenepta, uh, and later Ramesses the third in the twentieth dynasty. They, they make some temporary invasions into the land, but really it's to kind of put down some oppression. Uh, this is where we see the, uh, the Marineptistella, where it talks about carried off is Ashkelon, seized up is Gezer, Yonayim is made as that which does not exist, Israel is laid waste, his seed is not, right? They, 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 they obviously are, you know, <laughs> Egypt likes to over-exaggerate its wartime Narratives. Uh, it, th this Marinepta uh, Stella celebrates the victories uh, of Marinepta in Canaan just before the 1200s, uh, which is probably one of the earliest extra biblical references to an entity called Israel at the time, which is interesting. So we start to see them actually recognized as a state because they had uh, started to, to take over some of these lands in a more unified fashion. Uh, but after 1200, Egypt really loses its power uh, over those outside areas of its borders. And so it's not really able to defend uh, against what are called the sea peoples, right? Or the, or the people uh, of, of, of that period, of that, of that time period. And so there really is uh, that, that absentee landlord uh, feel to it. There's the Hittite Empire, which had conquered, uh, conquered Mitanni. Uh, they also collapsed because of the West, some Western enemies that were making incursions into their area. Assyria was largely weak at this period of time. So Assyria was, was, was on the ascendancy, but they're still mostly weak. They don't really become a strong power until about the 9th century. Um, and so many of the judges may have been contemporaries at the same time. Uh, other, uh, otherwise, uh, the years of judges, right, they really would have gone through 591. So a lot of these judges in the book of Judges seem to be operating overlapping each other, right? Otherwise, there would be like, you know, 800 years of, of, of judges. And we just don't we just don't see that. And so the judges are really acting in different regions. Uh, because there's this decentralized power, there's no there's no major power structure at the time, and so they're really operating in that power vacuum um, and 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 putting down the, these uprisings uh, and these primarily these apostasies. So that's the historical background. So now let's go to an exposition of the book of Judges that will start in our next episode. So thank you so much for joining. Hopefully this was helpful as we situate uh, and we transition now into an exposition of the book of Judges. I hope you appreciate this and understand how some of this background information will start to help us understand the text uh, of the book itself. And I hope that you will come to understand and love this book as much as I do. As always, 
If you have any questions, comments, concerns, commendations, or condemnations, please feel free to reach out to me. Uh, you can reach out by G, uh, by, by email uh, at the, uh, the Podcast at gmail.com. Visit the blog at freedthinkerpodcast.blogspot.com uh, or you can visit the Freedthinker group page on Facebook. Uh, for many of you who know, I also do apologetics dealing with atheism and naturalism and so on. If you want to see that as well or you want to check out some of my debates, you can head on over to the Freed Thinker YouTube page. Thank you again so much for joining. Good night and God bless.